The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and, well, heavy metal today. That's exactly what we're talking about with two heavy metal experts and Talk is Jericho alumni, Brian Slagle, founder of Metal Blade Records, and he's been on the show probably, I don't know, four or five times, as has Merlin Alderslade from Metal Hammer magazine in the UK. They return to rank the top 10 Iron Maiden opening songs of all time. We each made a top 10 list and we run them down from 10 to 1 debating and defending our choices these are songs that open an iron maiden record the first song on a maiden record like aces high or senjutsu or where eagles dare those songs uh, there's 17 of them that we can choose we've chosen 10 we've got stories about the music the songwriting the recording process and of course the iron maiden stage shows that match these opening tunes we talk about Bruce Dickinson and Iron Maiden's departures and returns to the band. We talk about the Blaze Bailey era, which, of course, I love. And we discuss Maiden's upcoming The Future Past tour, which is all about uh, Senjutsu and, of course, Somewhere in Time, uh, those two records. And we talk about what songs might be included. Uh, so get your set list created and debate along with us the best opening songs from Iron Maiden records of all time. All right, this is getting deep in the weeds for the uh, nerds, the Iron Maiden nerds that are out there, as you know, a lot of us are. All right, speaking of good times and uh, fun, fun experiences, let's talk about the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at C5 Alive. It's rolling out January 26th to January 30th, 2024. We're going from Miami to Cozumel, Mexico, and the pre-sale is open right now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. You have to sign up at chrisjerichocruise.com. They'll give you a booking time, and then you can book one a uh, cabin as soon as you can. But I got to warn you, these cabins are selling. We've already five levels of cabins have sold out already in just uh, over a day. Uh, and remember, the first 400 cabins booked get access to a special photo session and Q&A with me, along with limited edition Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea trading cards and a special micro-brawler of the Ocho under sea. So be one of the first 400 cabins. There's still a few left, I think, uh, but they're going fast. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Sign up for the uh, pre-sale list and book your cabin now. All Elite Wrestling is going to be there. I'm working on the talent lineup right now. Fozzie's going to be there. Guardians of the Jukebox, Quarantine, 
I promise you this, it is going to be another stacked lineup and you will have a great time. This will be the vacation of a lifetime for you as it always is. So go to that pre-sale and sign up at ChrisJerichoCruise.com and hurry, get your cabins now. All right, and get your lists out because the top 10 Iron Maiden album opening song is ranked right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. We were able to make this work. It's funny. We have our little Iron Maiden text group. Uh, I think it was last year. It was uh, Merlin Alderslade, the greatest English name of all time uh, from Metal Hammer. And of course, the great Brian Slagle from Metal Blade. And we talked about Sinjutsu and kind of created our, I said, who are the biggest Iron Maiden fans I know? And and both of you guys fit the bill. So we, we were uh, looking through an article, I believe it was from Loudwire, that listed the Iron Maiden opening tracks from each album. Closing tracks. Oh, was it was it the closing tracks? Closing tracks. Yes. Okay, great. So we so we decided to do it with the opening tracks, uh, and we're not doing all seventeen because there's seventeen Iron Maiden studio records. We're going to do the top ten. Uh, so this is really going into the, the the nerdery bushes here for the Maiden. But once again, as we always talk about, Maiden is one of the only bands, and of course Metallica probably being the other one where you could go do this and have like a really interesting discussion uh, that people want to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. On it, on it, the, I, I've made it into your most kind of made any fanboy uh, contacts. <laughs> you must know a few of them. So that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what different takes we have on what tracks matter the most. And I know we've all got slightly different eras that we came into Maiden on. I'm sure that's like influenced our picks and stuff. So yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I'm going to make a prediction that this is going to be wildly all over the map and all three of our lists are going to be very different. <laughs> I already know one song that Chris picked that, that I have an opinion <laughs> on. Yes, you do. And, I, and that's the thing. Listen, I, I like to have the debate, so I did kind of uh, shake mine up a little bit differently. And Merlin mentioned something really interesting that I enjoyed this, this dynamic between the three of us as well, is that there are three different generations of Maiden fans here. Uh, and Brian, was your first Maiden record? We've talked about this before, but just to refresh, was, did you come in right at the beginning? Well, I came in even before the beginning. Actually, when I was trading tapes, uh, a buddy of mine in Sweden sent me an ACDC Live cassette tape. Right. At the very end, he said, hey, there's this new band called Iron Maiden. They just put out this thing called Soundhouse Tapes. You might like it. And of course, I heard that and went insane. And then I was on from there. So Soundhouse Tapes is like 1979. 39. And then my first Maiden experience was Power Slave, which is 85. But in, if you're looking at kind of the growth of Maiden, that might as well be decades on from Soundhouse Tapes to Power Slave when they were kind of really all systems go. And your first, Merlin, was? My first was Brave New World. So I'm a, I, I, I was a full-on new metal kid. Still am, to be honest. But um, right. uh, the thing that really kind of got me hooked on heavy metal was Bruce and Adrian rejoining Maiden and the kind of... Uh, hullabaloo that that caused in the media and i was like oh what's all this about then and then um yeah brave new world was the first album i got into and i've never looked back all right so like we said it's a top 10 list here we, we are uh, debating the opening tracks of iron maiden's studio records and like we said there's 17 of them i guess we just kind of start from from number 10 one thing i'll say just before we get into it and in, in kind of reviewing this and living with Maiden for so long there's two types of iron maiden opening tracks there's the shorter four or five minute rockers up tempo fast and then there's the longer epic 
openers. Yeah, the, the one thing that I've noticed too in doing the research on this is that, is that Iron Maiden, as amazing as they are, the greatest band of all time, in my opinion, yada, yada, don't have the most powerful, great opening tracks. Like, usually not the best tracks on the record. In fact, I, I think, I don't know that there really is an opening track, maybe one that's the best track on the record, at least from what I can tell. That's a good call. Yeah, you know what? When you, as you said that, I thought, God, that's a two-footed tackle to come in with straight away. But actually, yeah. it's like, you, as, you know, you compare this to someone like Metallica, maybe, and they're more obvious pitch. You're probably right, Brian. There's only, looking at my list, maybe three of these, which would be in contention for my favorite on that album. So, yeah, it's interesting. That's a great point. Well, why don't we start? We'll jump right in with, uh, with number 10. Uh, why don't you go first, Brian? Here we go. All right, so I, I'm going to go right off the bat controversial because I don't think any of you guys have these. Uh, my number 10 is Satellite 15, The Final Frontier. Wow. I love that. I love that. Wow. Kind of give us your uh, reasoning for that, Brian. So I, lo- I love, love, love that record. I think it's one of the most underrated Maiden records. And when it came out, I, I just thought it was a br- brilliant record. When you talk to Maiden fans, you know, especially when you talk about the second era of the Bruce Adrian stuff, you know, that's not a record that there's a lot of love for, really. But I, I love that record. In fact, going back and listening and re-listening to some of these tracks, I'm, I'm now going to go down the rabbit hole of that album again, probably for the next week or so, listening to it every day. But, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of the opening part of it, the Satellite 15 thing. It's, it's you know, kind of brooding, building sort of thing. But I love when it kicks into the final frontier. I just think that's a great track. And I, like I said, I just love that record. It's interesting to me because I think out of all of them, that might be one of my least favorites. Because, and I think once again to compound about that, I think Final Frontier is my least favorite of the so-called reunion records, even though it's been twenty-five odd years or so. That's a very common, common, yeah. Too, I, I'm, I'm against the grain in that one. I think. Right. So that's a good, a uh, good, good way to start it off. All right, uh, Merlin, what do you think? What's your, what's your number ten? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I love that choice from you, Brian, by the way. That's awesome. I love that record as well. If we were doing a um, kind of most underrated Maiden tracks, there'd be at least one or two from their songs like Talisman and stuff. And before we move on to, like you said, Satellite 15, is a, it's about a two-minute long, three-minute long intro. Mm. Here, and here's another thing I just want to point out. that Iron Maiden pretty much always has opened up their gigs with the first two songs of their new record. Yeah. They've pretty much always done that. So with this tour... They had like this two or three minute intro with the lights kind of flashing and stuff. And you're like, this is kind of cool. But it's like, can we get on with it already? <laughs> they had, didn't they have a video of Bruce on the screens singing the first bit as well? The kind of slower bit. I'm sure he was like flashing up in the background before they actually came on and he was just appearing in places. He's like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it was kind of like this weird uh, uh, predator spaceman type Eddie involved <laughs> as well. But go ahead, Murray. Yeah, it's a really uh, weird uh, thing. So I'm gonna, I had a bit of a, query about this but i'll get to it later so i'm just going to jump straight in actually i've made my decision on what i'm going to do and um, mine is also a bit of a different choice probably not as controversial as brian's but also from the uh the newer era newer ish era this sounds like 17 years old now or something um, but i'm going to go with different worlds from a matter of life and death i think a lot of maiden fans both people who prefer the 80s era people who've got a lot of love for the 2000s really rate this album as a whole but for some reason, the opening song is just one of those that doesn't get talked about enough. And I think it's a great song. I think it's got a really great vibe to it. I love the energy of it. It's got a kind of quite emotional pull to it, I think. And it's just exciting and vibey. And it's one of the few faster tracks that you can kind of still um, call on from Maiden out there and opening tracks in the last few albums. Because as they've gone further and further on, they're kind of increasingly falling down the rabbit hole of like 
just really meandering, expansive, crazy prog metal <laughs> openers. So I kind of like Different World because it's one of the just straight up bangers that they have put out in that time. Well, let me just say about both of those records I was going to mention uh, as we go through. Both those songs, Final Frontier and now Different World, written by the strange bedfellows songwriting team of Adrian Smith and Steve Harris. Good spot. Haven't written a lot of songs together. It's usually Adrian and Bruce writing together and Steve kind of on his own. So it's interesting that, that you say that. They've got, they got some magic. What can we say? What do you think of Different World, Brian? Uh, you'll find out very shortly. Okay. Oh, he's right. I didn't think anyone had this higher than me when I put it in there. <laughs> Once again, for me, um, I love Matter of Life and Death. It might be my favorite overall Maiden reunion record, uh, but Different World's probably on the lower end of the spectrum for me when you compare it to, you know, For the Greater Good of God and These Colors Don't Run and, and, and you know, those types of tunes. But, you know, I, I, it's one of those ones too, like for me, like, I go, how does it go? Like, I don't even remember how it goes. I listen to it back. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Because it just comes right in. There's no intro. It just starts. It's got the little, um, it's got a little Nico call at the front of it. I can't remember what it says, but it kind of goes, hey, and it just goes, bang. <laughs> yeah. so I love that. <laughs> yeah, Nico just says. All right, so I'll go for my number 10, which is the third, uh, basically in a row of Adrian and Steve openers. And that would be from Dance of Death, Wildest Dreams. Oh, no way. I think that Wildest Dreams is one of those tunes, if it would have come out, like, let's say, I don't know, on maybe somewhere on time or something like that, it'd be a much more critically acclaimed Maiden song because it's it's a real happy song. It's got that happy vibe to Maiden, you know, that they're kind of a beer drinking, I'm on my way. Like, it's kind, kind of, of like adventurous. Yeah, and it's fun, and it's just like Wildest Dreams, like one of the most normal Iron Maiden sounding song titles that you'll ever hear. That was, that was a tough one for me because I, I wanted to include that really badly. I was kind of debating on, on where to go and I almost put it at number 10, but I just love the final frontier and wanted to give that record some love. So I put that in there. So it's probably 11 for me. I'm actually really glad that the uh, that these albums have already got a shout out in because all three yeah. of these tracks were in contention for my 10th spot. But then when I looked at the other ones that were coming up, I was like, oh, I can't really have all three of them in there. So I'm glad they've all got their dues. No, that's the one thing I like is it's when you go through some of this and actually listen to them again, you forget sometimes because I, I can't think of the last time I listened to Dance of Death. But I remember I always liked that song. And when I saw them, uh, they did a tour. I think it was called Give Me Ed Until I'm Dead with... Dio and Motorhead were opening, which is a hell of a bill. Is that the one where they played the whole record? No, this was the one where they came. Uh, it was after Brave New World in between. Gotcha. Brave New World dance set. But they did play Wildest Dreams. It was like the one new track that they played, you know, and it's like, oh, this is so cool. Great little cool breakdown there. And like you said, it's, it's, it's one of those ones that's kind of super underrated, in my opinion. That's great. So the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Brian, why don't you give us your number nine? Number nine, different world. Ah, there you go. It's kind of funny going back. 
and looking at the song, you kind of forget. Like, I don't think it seemed like you just mentioned Chris. You hadn't listened to this stuff for a long time. It's probably been 15 years since I probably heard that song. And I was like, well, I forgot what a great song this is. And a real, mm-hmm. again, a kind of a fun song to begin a record with. So, and it continues our Smith Harris uh, vibe as well. But yeah, I have it at number nine. It's so funny too, because that is the tour where they played the whole record in its entirety, Matter of Life and Death. And that's the only Iron Maiden tour I did not go to for some reason. <laughs> it wasn't because I didn't like the record. It just scheduling wise just was really weird. I forget what it was, but it's weird because I've been to every other Iron Maiden tour since the beginning, basically. I even saw it in your neck of the woods, Brian. I saw uh, what's the uh, amphitheater called in Irvine? Oh, yeah, Irvine Amphitheater. Irvine Amphitheater, right. So I remember going to that and I knew what was going on, but I, there, and the place was packed. I remember that thinking like, I couldn't believe how many people were there. And this was, I guess, when was that record? Maybe 2006 or so. And it was jam packed and they came out and they started with different world. And then they go to these colors don't run and then they keep going brighter than a th- and then they keep going and keep going. And I remember those people like halfway through going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Not to go off on a tangent, but I'm going to do a real quick tangent just because it's kind of fun. So when I saw Maiden on this last run in New Jersey, I was backstage hanging with Rod and, and Alexander Milas, who we have done a lot of work with. And he, of course, yeah, fan club. My old boss. Yeah, exactly. And so we were just kind of talking and I mentioned, I, I forget how it came up, but we're talking about how many shows, Maiden shows I've been to. And I said, you know, I calculated and I'm over 300. Wow. I was asking like, who's been to the most? He'd go, that's a really good question. So he did some digging and found like some guy from South America, I think it's like oh, up to 600 shows. So I wanted to ask you guys if you know how many Maiden shows you've been to. Have you been to 300 Maiden shows, Brian? Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I don't even want to say mine. I'm embarrassed. Me too. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I've cracked like 20 something now, which is like not too bad for having started going in about 2003, I guess, but still. That's still a lot. 300. I think I'm about around 30 right now, which isn't bad considering I grew up in Winnipeg where Maiden would come once a year if you were lucky and they weren't playing anywhere else. So if they came to Winnipeg, you were super excited. But And also, you, you basically be on the road yourself for like a lot of that time as well. So, And that's also the reason why I was able to kind of see them more in the last 10, 15 years because I'll go take road trips now and then you know try and do see them if they're playing Calgary, Edmonton or Milwaukee, Chicago. So I've been on a lot of those trips as well. So um, it was actually pretty funny as a quick segue for you. I went and saw them in Toronto back in October and we had an AEW show on Wednesday and they played on Tuesday and they stayed in the Four Seasons Toronto, which is owned by my boss, Shad Khan. No way. So I remember I met Rod in the, in the restaurant and I was like, dude, in 86, I snuck into the Westin hotel to try and meet Iron Maiden. And you guys kicked me out. I said, now, I can go anywhere I want because my boss owns the hotel. You can't stop me now. <laughs> you can kick that up. How, how did you take that? Uh, he, well, you know, <laughs> and then anyways, after the show, I, uh, it's funny because my boss also owns the Fulham Football Club, who's a rival of West Ham, which, of course, is Steve's team. I have been terrified to talk to Steve for years. Finally had some common ground, introduced him to my boss. They hit it off in the greatest conversation. My boss, my boss got his phone number. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I was like, I've been tr- trying to talk to Steve Harris for 30 years. You got his phone number in 10 minutes. I, I still 
still only talked about Steve Harris once in my entire life, and that was in in 1981 when I interviewed him for my fanzine. <laughs> and all the other guys, seeing him all the time, just, I, just like you, it's just, it's Steve Harris is just. But like, he's but he's the greatest guy. I know and, that's what he said. Like Frank Bellow can't believe this story. I go, I swear. And here's the best part of all. So I finally am sitting at a table with Steve and my boss Tony Khan, and across the way is some guy, uh, Adrian Smith, Alex Lifeson. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fucking Alex Lyson. Wow. Holy shit. <laughs> what a night. Heavy metal royalty. I know. And the problem was I was so drunk at that point in time. I went and talked to Alex. And I'm like, I wish I would have. I wish I wouldn't have been as drunk. I would have loved to have had a better chat with him. But <laughs> what could you do, man? It's rock and roll, right? What do you expect? Amazing. But uh, so I'm going to go next. My number nine, uh, speaking of 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 what you want to hear live on the next tour, Merlin, is, is Senjutsu the title track for their newest record, which once again, Smith and Steve Harris. Amazing. They've connected to write the opening song on every record, apparently. They know what they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's a great song. That was absolutely in contention for mine as well. I think it's a fabulous opening track. I have a weird relationship with that track. I don't dislike it, but I don't like it as an opener. So the way I would listen to that record, I was I would begin with Strategia, which I thought would have been a, a oh, way wow. better opener. And then I would listen to that song after Hell on Earth, and it kind of, in a weird way, works for me as like a close, either as great as Hell on Earth, the closing song is, kind of works better as a closing song for me. So that's how I would listen to that record. So, oh, wow, interesting. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. When I heard it, I was really disappointed because I was like, it never kicks in. But I think that's one of the reasons why I really grew to like it is because it's different from every other maiden song opener. You know, and it's got the, the middle part with Bruce's range just singing super high. I think because I agree with you, Brian, when I first and we even talked about this, I think when Suggested came out, I was like, yeah, I don't I was just waiting for something to grab me. And Stratego does. But I think it's one of those ones. And as you guys know, the best albums are always ones that grow on you over time, whereas ones that you like right away, usually they kind of wear off quicker because it's not as maybe not as deep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we talked about that a lot when we did the the Senjutsu uh, right. podcast because I was only in like six or seven times and I was loving it, but it took a while. And I've since talked to a lot of people who don't like the record. I said, well, how many times have you listened to it? And once. I go, you, you got to give it. You won't get it. Uh, first three listens. Yeah. I have a rule for, for bands, especially like, like say Red Hot Chili Peppers, for example. I make myself listen to it, to a new Chili Peppers record 10 times. Wow. Because if I don't, I do not like it. The first one, second one, third one. And as you go on, it's like, oh my gosh, genius. And the hooks start coming out. I'm the same with Maiden uh, as well. And, and and Metallica too. Although Metallica grabs me quicker, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Like Luxie Turn, I'm already kind of over it already. Like I want to hear the rest. I want to hear some longer too. Are you feel the same, Brian? I agree. I agree. 100%. Yeah. What do you think, Merlin? What you got for number nine? Number nine, I have a good whole kind of decade era earlier for my number nine. I've gone with uh, Be Quick or Be Dead from Fear of the Dark. Oh, nice. I feel like Fear of the Dark is a maiden album, which everyone kind of acknowledges because the artwork is quite iconic. And obviously the title track is one of the biggest maiden songs ever. Right. But um, I think it's a, it deserves a lot more uh, recognition in general, this album. It's got loads of great songs in it. I think uh, Childhood's End is great. I like Chains of Midori, You Just Be My Guide. Afraid to Shoot Strangers. I was really happy when they brought that back on tour a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But Be Quick or Be Dead is like, it might be like the angriest opening Maiden song. And I just love how unhinged Bruce sounds on it. I don't know if there's something in the water because we know that this was kind of like that era of Maiden's last stand and everything else. But like, it just sounds absolutely crazy how it comes out of the blocks. And I just, uh, yeah, I love it for that. Just a killer scream mm. coming right out of the gate. And another thing too is three minutes and 24 seconds. 
Yeah. So they're not fucking around on this one at all, you know? Yeah. One of my favorite moments is like when I was a kid, well, not a kid, early 20s, we didn't have MTV, we had much music. And the same show, it was the Power Hour. It was the new Iron Maiden and the new Kiss. And the new Iron Maiden was be quick or be dead. And the new Kiss was unholy. <laughs> Shout out to George, my buddy, George Strombolopoulos. That's George Strombo. I love George. He's in LA now. Uh, but once again, like just what a great one-two punch. Like you're like, what's the new Kiss going to sound like? And it was just like, bah. so, uh, and this also to be quick or be dead, which is what I like about it. It's a, uh, it's a Bruce and a Yannick Gares composition. And I think, in modern day Maiden, Yannick is 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 the unsung hero 100%. of songwriting. I think like he wrote Stratego. Every every time he writes something, it's all he wrote Book of Souls, which is my favorite song off Book of Souls. So he's got some great uh, credits for him there. Hundred percent. I want you to do a double there, Merlin. Give us your eighth choice. Uh, so more a more a much more recent one for my number eight. I've gone for If Eternity Should Fail. Oh, nice. Song. Nice bit of synergy there. You just talked about um, the title track of Book of Souls. I almost wanted to put this or Senjutsu in because I just felt they kind of come from a similar place of this kind of like big, booming, dramatic introduction to the album. Um, but I just think If Eternity Should Fail is like, it's a slightly more succinct song. And I just love the drama of it. I love the passion and the emotion of it. I love the kind of, uh, the way Bruce did the song live was quite a big swinger in this for me and picking it because he had all that cool echoey effect on his voice. He was standing over the bubbling cauldron and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's just like so Bruce, but so cool. And also Bruce said in interviews that he got the idea for the song title of a Dr. Strange comic, which is just badass. So Dr. Strange says something like, we're going to fight till eternity. And then another character says, and if eternity should fail or something, and Bruce is like, <laughs> lyrically, that song is absolutely brilliant. I think that's one of the best, some of the best lyrics that Bruce wrote, and, and the chorus is so catchy too. Agreed. Once again, uh, it is uh, just written by Bruce. He wrote that all by himself, which is very strange because there's not a lot of only Bruce written songs, but I've obviously maybe my favorite Maiden song ever, Power Slave, is just written by Bruce, whatever exactly that means. But and Bar the Clouds, Bruce by himself, twenty minutes. That's true. Empire of the Clouds, yeah. 18 minutes, their longest song. But I think uh, from Eternity, if Eternity Should Fail, once again, kind of falls into the Shinjutsu category at first. When I heard it, I was like, what a strange way to open the record. You know, and then and then it comes in kind of mid-tempo. I remember uh, Eli Roth was like, you know, only Maiden can get away with using the word magma in lyrics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then it kicks in. And, but like you said, him live... Because don't forget, he also had had throat cancer, tongue cancer. So this was his big return to vocals, kind of. Even even though they, I think they recorded this before the cancer, but the live element, it was just Bruce standing above the drums, like you said, with the cauldron. And he comes on stage by himself and opens the show with a cappella singing. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. And, and I thought that whole st- it was such a triumphant album cycle for them because, like I said, what Bruce had been through. And the stage show was just amazing, genuine. I think one of the greatest major stage shows of all time. It just looked great. And it, like, yeah. that track really summed up the kind of excitement and drama of Maiden being back to me. So that's why it's made it into my list. And, and I agree, especially with the, we talk about Final Frontier. If you didn't quite dig that record, I think Book of Souls kind of was right back on track because there are some some bangers on that for sure. Well, don't don't keep talking about this song because I'm going to mention it in a minute too. Okay, yeah, well, okay, cool. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, my number eight, uh, right back to the start, Prowler, which is another one of the kind of just kicks right in. 
I always, always loved, I remember when I first, I mean, obviously, like I said, I, I had Power Slave first and kind of way, made my way back through the albums, but I always love that. Wow, 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 wow. And obviously it's classic Dave Murray. He still plays to this day, leads with that tone to it. His tone has never changed in 40 years. I just, I just love it, man. It's like, you know, it, it, and then it, it kind of gets really fast at the end. Feels like I'm like, <laughs> wow, what a great opening song. And it's the kind of these weird lyrics that they were writing at the time where you didn't really know what they meant. Mm. You know, it's a Steve Harris tune by himself, but I just always love Prowler and the rare times when they play it live in, in the modern era. It's always welcome, welcome to me when I hear it. And Diano's amazing on that song too. And those first two Maiden records, of course, I was there when it was happening. Right. I love them so much and thought they were so amazing. And one thing I was, I was talking to some friends of mine the other day about, about lead singers and, and things. I said, so you, you got to remember that when Diano left or was, or however he was, not in Iron Maiden anymore. Dismissed, yeah. And Bruce was in, I, I was working at the record store when Number of the Beast came out. And there was a 50-50 split between fans. People who loved Deano and didn't want to hear anything about Bruce. And other people thought Bruce was really great and was going to work. But it was like a 50-50 split. You look years later, like the people you say that, and they're like, really? But mm. those Deano records were so good. And that punk element that he added, along with the metal thing, just made it so angry and so heavy. But, you know, Bruce came in and obviously, you know, didn't miss a beat. And they went on to be one of the biggest fans of all time. So and another thing about Deano, too, is people always mention the punk sound, which he had. But he also had a very high range. Yep. He didn't have the tone that Bruce had. But I bet you if you were a muso and could say, well, well Bruce can sing to a C. I bet you Deano could sing to a C as well. Like the, the highness was there. It was just a little bit more like raspier. Yep. But, yeah, that, that's something to think about. Like, what was it like when Bruce came in after... Deano was there in 1981 or 82. You'd probably be like, oh my gosh. Well, it was weird. I was shocked. In fact, I interviewed Deano at the very last uh, show on that very first Iron Maiden tour when they played the US and they weren't scheduled to play any more dates on the West. They were not scheduled to play the West Coast at all, but they added some dates on at the end. And the last show they played was with UFO. And my buddy and I were doing the fanzine. We interviewed Deano and he said at the end of the interview, I think I'm leaving Iron Maiden. We're both like <laughs> in shock and all like, what a lie. And he said, ah, you know, I want to do something more melodic and yada, yada. I think there were obviously other stuff going on in the background. But he said that. And we're like freaked out watching the show. Like, oh my god, this, is this the end for this is the end for Maiden? <laughs> for <our> maiden. <laughs> you know, eighteen years old and freaking out. Uh, who do you have for number eight, Brian? Uh, so number eight, we we kind of talked about this a little bit in our little pre discussion here, but I went with the Ides of March. Uh, it was brought up is that is Ides of March and the Rothschild one song, and it's not listed on Spotify or the CDs. It's listed as two songs. So the Ides of March is just the Ides of March. And when I went back and listened to it again, because at first I was like, I can't really put like an intro in, but it, you know, it's a minute 40 and I listened to it again. I go, you know what? It's a really good intro. And it, it for me, it stands on its own as an opening track for Maiden. And it's obviously an iconic intro to Rapchild, of course. Yeah, it's interesting. We were kind of having a little bit of debate on this. Is is, is it Ides of March, Rathchild, or just Ides of March? And my argument was going to be, I just watched uh, Maiden in Gothenburg 2005. It was called Eddie takes over the world tour and they were doing songs basically just from the first three records or well, first four, first four. Yep. And they open with eyes of March, the tape, and then they go straight into murders in the room arc, which threw me off for a second. Cause I was like, does it go into murders in the room arc? Or does it go into Rothschild? I forgot for a second. Then I realized that's your case. Eyes of March is a standalone opener because you could go right into 
murders or Rothschild or another life or whatever it may be. And it would fit because it's such an epic with the drum pattern over and over again. It's really well done. Yeah. Clive Burr, you know, is one of the greatest drummers ever. It's, it's brilliant on that. He's brilliant on that song. It's interesting. Um, when I had Lars on Talk is Jericho, I asked him, this was back right when Hardwired came out. So 2016, I guess. And I noticed, like, if you notice, Lars doesn't do fills really anymore with the toms. He only has one tom now. Most of his fills are done on the snare. I said, what, what, why do you do that now? He said, one name, Clive Burr. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Clive Burr did most of his fills on a snare drum. And he said, that's what I wanted to start incorporating into my playing. And it's like, wow, great uh, reasoning there, Lars. That's pretty cool. And what a time to suddenly bring it in as well. It's like, 2016, I'm going to throw it back to Clive Burr. Like, that's <laughs> right, yeah. And Lars is so underrated as a drummer, too. I mean, the thing that I love about him is that he has songs based around drums. Like, how many bands do that? I mean, I just, just for all, like, dun, dun, dun. That's the song. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's the hook. That's it. Yeah, so I, I, I don't really know very many other bands that can do that. So he's brilliant in, in that. You know what a modern version of that is, is um, Now That We're Dead from Hardwire. Yeah, yeah. Hardwire, where it's like, dun, 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 That's the part. Yep. The riff is just whatever, but it's the it's the drum fill there, you know? 100%. Even a couple of other songs off of there, too. So Yeah, he's got some of the stuff. Hardwired, for sure, has that. But basically, the Clive Burr influence, which, like you said, Clive, also very underrated as a player because he was gone so early in Maiden's career, but... You know, Nico does a good job. It's still not quite the same on those Clive tunes. So, The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, we're down to number seven. You want to uh, kick it in, Merlin? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got a track that's actually off what's probably my favorite Maiden album. And the only reason it's not further up the list is because weirdly i think it's an amazing song but i don't think it would probably get into brian's earlier point i don't think it would get into my top five tracks from the album itself um but that's Moonchild, nice which is seventh sun is probably my favorite maiden record i love it i love all the kind of weird conceptual geeky stuff behind it i think just song for song it's the best maiden record um and i think Moonchild is just such a brilliant fantastical dramatic over the top bruce and his elements with the seven deadly sins they get the start <laughs> you know it's just like he's just absolutely in his absolute dreamland and when they did it live, it was just so great. And I love the, I just love the tone of the guitar on that whole album and the way it kind of like slides in. I just, I just think it's such a great song. So I had to have it in there somewhere. That's a fascinating record because it's same thing. It's one of my all-time favorite maiden yeah. records as well. But it's a record that outside of the United States is looked at as one of the, the premium Iron Maiden records. Didn't do very well in the states, and I talked to so many of my American Maiden friends who don't even have it in their top ten albums. Wow, it's very common. And in fact, they—I uh, forget which book it was. One of the Maiden books I read, they were talking about about that fact that the record didn't do very well in the states. It did huge numbers everywhere else, and it's never really, for some reason, resonated a lot with with Americans where it has in, in other parts of the world. I think when they did the recent tour around it that helped i think bring it back but yeah i love that record it's probably in my top five iron maiden records ever but a lot of people in the u.s 
dismiss it for some reason. Mm. When you when you are growing up and certain records come out, they they mean more to you because it's a certain part of your life that you look upon fondly. And Seventh Son came out in 1988, right when I was about to graduate high school. Let me just see when it came out. It came out in April of 88. So you look at these are your last few months of high school. So this was the album that me and all my metal friends listened to as we had those last few parties, you know, those good times. So Seventh Son is my favorite Maiden record. Oh. And I love the fact, like you said, kind of this weird prog thing where later years Bruce was like, I don't even know what it means. It's like I listened to Operation <laughs> Mindcrime because well, that's a, a a concept record. We didn't even know what the hell was going on, but it, it did get bookended with the Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah, just a monster riff, and I'll talk more about it later when we get to it in my in my list as well. But definitely a great choice there. Quick quick note since you mentioned Queens, right? Their new record is phenomenal. Digital Digital Noise Alliance, phenomenal. The record they should have made after Mindcrime. It's it's incredible. I don't know after how after 30 years they came up with this. I just saw them in Key West a couple of weeks ago. And I asked Michael, I said, how 30 years, where does is this COVID? <laughs> well, okay. Gave him some inspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really great. Queen's Rock fan, please listen to it. It's awesome. Um, and once again, Moon, Moonchild was uh, Smith and Dickinson, more of the classic songwriting team. What's your number seven, Brian? Uh, I go to the, uh, what we were just talking about earlier, Prowler. Okay. Love that song. Again, love that record. The yeah, first Maiden record, that was one. That was when I first got the record. Obviously, I'd heard the Soundhouse tapes and thought they were really great, but it was, you know, it's a demo. It's not It's not a record. When I got that record, I'll never forget, I brought it home, bought it at Moby Disc, <laughs> when I was California, brought it home and put it on the turntable, listened to it. And I just sat in awe at what I was listening to. Just I listened to that record probably, I don't know what time in the afternoon I had, I probably listened to it over and over and over again until the whole night. And that to me, and this is why I love Iron Maiden, that to me is the perfect heavy metal band. Everything you want about it. It's fast, it's heavy, it's got a great singer, the lyrics are amazing, the the, the artwork is phenomenal. It's like everything was like the perfect... They look cool. That's why they made yeah. they always look cool too, you know? You know, I grew up in the 70s with, you know, all the, you know, Thin Lizzy and Purple and Sabbath and all those bands that I love, but this was something different that I just thought was incredible. So yeah, I, I kind of wish I would have put it higher but there's so many other really good songs that made put out I, I was i wanted to put it in my top five but i, I couldn't shoehorn it in there yeah. so i've got it i just want to say too for kids like uh that don't have the wondrous experience of going to the record stores these days which is basically where i mean i'm sure you you, you did it for sure brian we uh, maybe even you merlin with we used to just hang out at record stores that was it but the names of record stores was so great. You said Moby Disc. Yeah, licorice. what a great name. <laughs> Ours was there's Sam the Record Man. There's Records on Wheels. There's Mother's Music. There's you know Licorice Pizza. Like all these cool comedy club names or strip club names. They always got some some cool personality behind them for sure. And the record store I worked at was a great store, but it's just called Oz Oz. So Oz Records. So it wasn't anything. It still sounds cool to me though. I'd like yeah. to go. All right. So for my number seven, I am going with the first song I heard with the return of Bruce and Adrian, the wicker man. How oh, yes. Which is by Bruce, Adrian and Steve maiden has a, a great uh, proclivity of writing songs about movies. And one of my all-time favorite horror movies is The Wicker Man, the one from the early 70s, not the Nicolas Cage abomination. Don't watch that one. Watch the one from the early 70s. It's so fucking scary and creepy. If you've ever seen Midsummer that just came out recently, it's very much influenced by Wicker Man. I said Midsummer tattoo. I'm very into, I love my pagan horror. Amazing. It's a <laughs> pagan horror. Exactly. I couldn't believe, like, it's perfect. The Wicker Man. 
And it's Eddie is the Wicker Man on fire. And the idea of the Wicker Man is that the pagans end up doing a sacrifice for the summer solstice, who ends up being Edward uh, Woodward, I think his name was. Uh, you get stuck into the giant Wicker Man and then you get burned alive and that's the sacrifice. And I was just like, what imagery for Iron Maiden? The Wicker Man, it's fucking great. And then the riff comes out and it's like, this riff is so amazing. But Brian will know this and so will Merlin. That riff is the same riff as Running Wild <laughs> by Judas Priest and the same riff as Makes Me Want to Sing by Striper. I didn't know that, to be fair. That's not one that was on my radar. <laughs> Go listen to both those tunes, Running Wild, Wicker Man, and Makes Me Want to Sing. It's the same riff and no one ever sued anybody about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many similar riffs and, you know, the rest of the songs. Are this, but I, I love The Wicker Man and I kind of forgot how much I love that song. Yes. I forget which tour it was. It was some, some, one of the last three tours it was where they, they brought it out of the mothballs and played it. And when they started playing, I go, God, I forgot what a great song, especially live. It's the energy live is so good. Yeah, That's one of my, I mean, you'll see later, that's one of my top Maiden songs. This is, this is right up in mind as well, so I've got to come in later as well. But uh, not just because I genuinely love it, but it was literally the first Maiden song I got into. So for me, it's, cool. like, it's got that emotional, nostalgic core. It, it just, once again, like we, we mentioned, like, you know, uh, about uh, you could do a list like this for Maiden or Metallica, like, when when Metallica had the the announcement about uh, seventy two seasons and the world tour, I told Lars the only other band that that can do that is Iron Maiden. Like when an Iron Maiden record comes out, it's an event, and the imagery of it. I remember just the Wicker Man and the and and the picture that came out around that time was them kind of in the dark and there was a torch and like Bruce is there and they just it looked ominous, which I think is the idea. Not evil, just kind of like oh, this is gonna be cool. Mm. And then, like you said, the intro of the of the riff within the Nico's drums, like, it just sounds great. The production is great. And I just thought, what an awesome way to introduce the new band, basically. And it just mm. haven't looked back since. Yeah, and Bruce is on firing on all cylinders on that song, too. Whatever. Yeah. Lyrically as well, it's just so badass. That Like his line where he goes, the shadow of the wicker man is right. Like, yeah, that yeah, might yeah, be yeah. my favorite kind of like, almost like horror movie-esque Bruce Line he's ever done. It's just so goosebump-inducing. I love it. All right. Well, then why don't you kick off number six, Brian? So we go back to what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, If Eternity Should Fail. <laughs> Again, like I was mentioning earlier, the one thing that I really love about that song is just the, the lyrical content. It's so interesting. You know, we're all about If, if Eternity Should Fail. If, you know, talking about afterlife and spirits and all these things going on. Well, what happens if eternity fails? It's, just, it's a really interesting concept. I remember when I was first listening, going, wow, that's, that's a pretty heavy subject matter to kind of think about, right? Yes. So, and the way it's, it, the way the song is constructed and the way the lyrics are constructed. And, and I just love that the chorus is so good. And that's a really great, you know, a really great intro. Again, it's got that kind of weird first part of it, but then it kicks in and it's just phenomenal. Well, I'll piggyback with you because it's also my number six, if eternity should fail. We're surprisingly agreeing on a lot of things. I'm shocked. I know. I'm shocked. <laughs> I did not have you both down as having if eternity should fail as higher than me. I'm, 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 I love this. <laughs> well, once again, it, it, it grew on me because I'm always a cover guy. Like I look at the cover and that really influences how I'm going to feel about the record. I think that goes back to the days of hanging out in the record store when you were look at the cover first and that would that would grab you i didn't really dig the cover of matter of life and death i didn't like the cover of final frontier when book of souls came out it just was like a classic eddie face like killers or power slave or something so i was interested right away the whole mayan thing was like it seemed like 
a little bit magical and mystical. So when it starts off with just that keyboard and Bruce, once again, a cappella, here is the soul of a man here in this place for the taking. And it just was like, it really felt to me like a Mayan apocalyptic type of vibe, you know? So I was really hooked on that. And then the other thing I really love about it is that I found out that Bruce had that song in mind for his next solo record. And somehow Steve heard it and went, no, 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 no. that's not a solo record. We're, we're taking that. <laughs> Same way that he did with Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, which is another classic Maiden that was like, no, 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 we'll, we'll take that one. And Bruce like, but it's mine. He's like, no, 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 it's mine. Not anymore. It's mine now. They're only number one single in the UK as well, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. So it worked out well to them. Oh, wow. I love the fact that Steve is super chill, super cool, but they all have to listen to him when he says what he says. Bruce, this is our song now. And this, there's no arguing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, Steve, there you go. <laughs> Even Rod is as great a character and a big personality. Rod, Rod's got to listen to Steve because you're right. Asking questions every once in a while, so they go, "Oh, that's what Steve wanted to do." So that's what so we're doing. He he told Rod told me that he didn't care for the Mayan imagery at first for Book of Souls. He didn't like it. He told Steve oh, so, it. and Steve was like, "We're we're using it. This is it. This is the next tour." So I love it because it's different for them. It's not something yeah before, and that's you know you you kind of get into those. Especially with heavy metal bands, you get into like the covers kind of all kind of bleed together. And especially for Maiden, they have so many iconic images. I love the simplicity of that album cover, but it's still stark and, and heavy. Yeah. And once again, just to double down here, from a world of magma to a cold rock face. <laughs> magma. I just like to say magma. Uh, Merlin, who's your number six? So my number six is, uh, is a classic Maiden track. It's, it's almost one I just don't know how to even start with because it's just one of their probably most famous openers. But it's Where Eagles Dare from uh, Peace of Mind. I think they brought it back for the Legacy of the Beast tour, if I remember rightly. It's hard to remember because I've seen something yes. great. Nostalgic Maiden yep, tours. Yep, yep. I don't know if it was the first time I'd seen them do it, but it was one of the only times I've seen them do it because it's not a track they played a whole lot. And uh, it's just such a great uh, introduction to one of their all-time great 80s records. I love it's kind of the adventurousness of it and it's kind of like almost like cheeky gung-ho kind of side of Maiden. Again, that really feels spearheaded by Bruce and the way he kind of sings over that track. It's just an absolute classic and it, is, it was always going to be in mind. So it's just kind of decided where exactly it would end up. And it's my number six. Yeah, you know, I had, I had difficulty to hear with that track because I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I originally had it really high up. And then when I finally got to my list, I was like, oh, shoot, it's not as high as I thought it was. I had to re reshuffle everything. So <laughs> you'll see where it comes up. But it's, okay. it's a great song. But yeah, when you start getting into the top five, it's like, man, there's so many iconic songs there. How do you mm. rank them? So that was a tough one for me. I thought it was going to be like number one or two, and it, it's not on my list. Interesting that you say that because, uh, it, yeah, it's another Steve song. I'm going to just go on the record right here. I didn't put it on my list. Mm. And I'll tell you the reason why. Wow. I knew that you guys would have it on there. For shocker. It's a shocker. Uh, and if I hadn't said it, you might not even notice it. But I did not put it on because obviously it's a classic. I think it's a perfect example of like, here's our new drummer. Check out this. It's one of the best drum intros of all time. It didn't hold up for me as well live. When I saw them on the uh, Legacy of the Beast tour, when we opened for them at the uh, stadium, Bank of California Stadium, I loved the fact that they were playing Where Eagles Dare, but it was on right after Ace is High. And it just, listen, it's a great song. And people, all Maiden fans are going to go, you're crazy. I just thought, I know that Merle and Brian are going to put it on. 
live, it didn't hold up as well for me as some of these other ones have. So I'm just going to leave it off uh, respectfully, respectfully. I think that's fair enough. You know, we, we, we have, you know, obviously very nerdy Iron Maiden conversations all the time. And it's interesting because as, as big, massive fans as, as Chris and I both are, we definitely have a lot of disagreements in terms of albums and tracks and stuff, which is great. It's fun to have those things. So I'm not, I knew there was going to be some famous song that Chris was going to leave off. <laughs> I know there's one coming up that we're going to have an interesting conversation about as well. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, is that Fozzie's actually even covered Where Eagles Dare. And it's, it's a great tune. It's, you know, there's only two verses of song. It's almost like a dream theater song. It was like five minutes of instrumental and like two minutes of singing on it. But, um, but yeah, I just, uh, I just, I left it off the list knowing that you guys would take it. In, in, in order to give some of these other songs a little bit of a of a chance. So wow. it's a risky game, but it played off. It is. Yeah. And I know once again, I'm going to get crucified for that, but I don't care. It's my podcast. If you don't like it, then turn it off now. <laughs> <but> you <won't. laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, we're down to the top five. Brian, why don't you kick off your top five? There's still lots that haven't been mentioned yet. Yeah, well, no, not yet. I've got, well, we've got a couple that we're going to get to. But this is one we just talked about, Moonchild, off of Seven Son of Seven Son. Again, gr- great track. I-, I love every single song on that record. I'm so happy when they when they did the recursor of it. And people, and again, I talk about the U.S. and the European different volume on it but i love that song and the one thing that i know that maiden fans complain about and i i doesn't bother me at all is just the fact that he says seven son of a seven son like four thousand times yeah. but i like that i think it's so catchy and cool mm-hmm. it's just it's like hearing a guitar riff over and over again it doesn't bother me at all but i've got friends who go i can't listen to that song he just says it over and over again and I, I don't know it sounds good to me but yeah i love that record it's a great opening track the same thing i wanted to put it higher but it's just the top five man it just gets really tough for me trying to i knew the songs but trying to slot them in was hard and once again you get down to this you know the top five even the top 10 i mean all these songs are brilliant it's just a matter of opinion it's fun just to debate them but um you're, you're totally right on that you could you could stick anyone in into anyone so I was really my top five ended up being completely different than i thought it was going to be going in i had it set up and then went back and listened to everything. I go, oh, no, I got to read this now. <laughs> uh, Moonchild, once again, is a another Smith Dickinson opus. Uh, and I'll have a few more comments about it a little bit later on. But one, but yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll go right into my number five because we discussed it a bit already. Be Quick or Be Dead made it into the top five for me. I think, once again, um, not just because of the quality of the song, which is great. I think the surprise of it. Prior to that was No Prayer for the Dying, which was holy smoke and tail gunner it was it was okay but to me you could really see that adrian smith was gone it, it was it was not a great record i mean bring her daughter the slaughter is probably the best song on it but then you know quicker be dead comes out and it's just like oh my gosh similar to unholy like you hear a lot of these paul songs in the 80s which were cool but then gene just returns and this to me was like the return of iron maiden just like get here we go and then remember like they're all wearing leather jackets in the video and Bruce's hair was even longer. He just grew it out. It just looked like 
they were there to kick some ass and be Iron Maiden again. So I really, really enjoyed that that tune. And the video was cool as well. Yeah, those two records for me, Fear of the Dark and, and the one before. Uh, no Prayer for the Dying. Oh, right, yeah, sorry. Uh, are weird for me because I, I was such a big Adrian Smith fan. And I actually ended up, by coincidence, having dinner with him when he was doing his solo tour promo because my buddy was working at the radio station. So I had dinner with him. And what a really great guy he was and, and very, very nice and much more talkative after a couple of drinks, of course. But same here, I guess. But uh, he was great. And we kind of talked about you know why he left. And he said he just he just wasn't into the direction musically they were going. He didn't feel that he could write yeah. you know, what they were doing. And I kind of, I really felt his lack on those two records. Look, there's some good songs. I was just looking at, I mean, some really good songs on the record. He said, Judas Be My Guy, which is great. The Apparition is really great. There's some really good songs on there. But overall, those two records just are not in my, my top main thing. So I, I don't have that at all on my top 10. Well, and the thing is too, like Adrian is a friend of mine. He was the first maiden friend that I made. Like those guys were so burned out. I mean, look what happened at the end of this tour cycle of Fear of the Dark. Bruce was gone too. They, they, those, they had toured so much and I think they just got sick of everything and just needed to get away. Yeah. And dude, you could see that because when they went through the next phase of maiden with the blaze Bailey, I mean, I was looking, they played the fucking masquerade in Atlanta. We've played the masquerade in Atlanta. Great room for Fozzie. Not a great room for Iron Maiden. So, like, yeah, I'm, I'm reading Adrian's book now, and while it's mostly about fishing, it was fishing. Really, yeah, it was really interesting because I'm, I'm only about I don't know, a third of the way through it. But he was talking about when they finished the Power Slave tour, how exhausted he was. Yes, completely exhausted. And him and his then girlfriend, eventual wife, just went up to Canada and went fishing for like a month and a half in the middle of nowhere in Canada just to get yeah, yeah, yeah. all that. You, you kind of forget especially in the 80s, which is so tough on these guys, just constantly touring and touring and touring. And yeah, he also mentioned that when, when I talked to him as well about just, just burned out. It's funny, uh, just as a, as, a, as a side thing. So Frederick uh, from, he's in Creator now. He was in, um, what's the band that plays the super fast was souls? Dragon Force? Dragon Force. Yeah. So we have an idea. We're going to put together a maiden cover band called No Fear of the Dark. <laughs> and all we do is songs from No Prayer of the Dying and Fear of the Dark. That's our <laughs> That's our gig. That, that's the only way a lot of us will ever get to see some of those songs now. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Wait, you see my guy, please. Yeah, yes, that's a good one. Uh, what's your number five, Merlin? I'm flying in the face of the rules that we set down earlier on in the podcast because as much as, Brian, you made an excellent argument as to why the Ides of March should be considered the official first track. It is officially the first track on Killers. I can't, I can't argue it. However, when I think of Killers and I think of what really actually sets that album in motion and what kind of introduces the world to that era of Maiden, it's Rathchild to me. And it's got arguably the most iconic bass line Steve Harris ever wrote. I just want to give it a shout out because it's just it just feels weird to not have it as a kind of introductory thing um, for a Maiden album to me. Um, so I've got Rathchild as my number five. And if I'm really not allowed it, then I'll just slap the sign of the cross on at number 10. I mean, everything up. <laughs> so I'll just leave that there. You know, that's that's the one where, you know, we had that conversation. It is kind of tough because like I, when, like I said, I've, I'm just kind of going by the book of the way they have it. But I'm. It's, look, those two songs are linked together, just like Satellite 15 and, and The Final Frontier are. Yeah. But those are listed as one song. These, for some reason, are listed as two, which I, I'm kind of curious. I wonder why that is. Maybe it was just a record company think at the time, like, well, it's got it's two separate tracks and, or maybe it's a publishing thing. I, you know, who knows why it is? Yeah, I'm wondering maybe if it's a publishing thing. Yeah, it's Jericho's podcast, so it's really up to him. <laughs> no, we, we, there's there's no rules here. It's it's a party, and I, and I, cause like you said, the, those both those songs are so linked and connected. I'm I'm looking right now at the track listing. There's ten songs 
including Ides of March. You know how things are. I mean, Brian, you would know more than anybody, especially back in those days, you had to provide 10 songs, right? Yeah, it could, yeah, it could very well be a contractual thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they are, to me, they're linked as much as like, like whenever I hear eruption, if I don't hear you really got me right after, I feel blue balled. Right. You know? So it's the same with Ides of March. Like if I don't hear Wrathchild afterwards or Murders in the Remark, which is great live, but Wrathchild, they do very much go together hand in hand for sure. It's kind of like uh, the Hellion and Electric Eye by Priest as well. It's like that kind of yes, thing. Yes, you know? good call. There you go. It's just, it's, it feels weird to not consider them part of the same thing. Great point. Or even that weird intro to Symptom of the Universe. It's the separate track, that little acoustic thing. Sometimes it'll mm. come up in my on my headphones when I'm listening to things randomly. And yeah. I listen to it like, wait, where's the where's the riff? <laughs> yeah. Another great one, like you mentioned, if you listen to stuff on Shuffle and in the beginning from Motley Crue comes out. Yes. And then it just ends. Like you gotta hear Shout at the Devil right after. It doesn't fit. <laughs> right. <Yes>. right? <laughs> All right. So that was your that was your number five, right, Merlin? Uh yes. We've all got so we're down to our we're down to our final four. Four. All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here because it's one that hasn't been said yet, which I'm super excited that they hopefully play on this upcoming tour, Days of Future Past or whatever it's called. Caught somewhere in time. Yes, it's not called somewhere in time. It's called caught somewhere in time. Caught somewhere. Also, my number four. Okay, there you go. It's your number four as well. Awesome. Uh, I saw them play it once on 1987 on the Somewhere in Time tour, and this is where Bruce came out with the we called the. Uh, science fiction frog it was all green with the beating heart if you had the time to lose an open mind and time to choose like what a great opening line and when i was a kid in my high school band scimitar we could play this song because it's hard but it's not fan of the opera hard it's just really kind of it's fast and great chorus and just what a great song. I can't believe they haven't played it live since. So I'm hoping, hoping that they play it. I'm sure they will. I was just thinking, I was like, I don't think I've seen them play that, you know, and I don't think they have. So this is the time, man, because like it is literally one of my favorite of the Maiden songs. So Agreed. Yeah, they, they've played it a couple of times, but not, I, it's been a while. So I'm, when Rod told me about, because um, I didn't know what the next tour was going to be when I saw them in, in New Jersey. Because they said, when are you going to play the rest of the new record? They said, the next one, we're going to do that, and we're going to do Somewhere in Time. Oh, my God. That's great. So I only saw them once on this last run. I'm going to see them probably about 40 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be at 350 gigs at the end of this tour. (laughs) Yeah, probably so. What a great, great, great song. I'm going to say, and you might be right, uh, Brian, but I've been following Maiden you know, with a with a microscope since 84. I don't think they've played Caught Somewhere in Time live since the Caught Somewhere in Time tour. Somewhere on tour is what it was called. I could be wrong. I, I want to say they did somewhere, but I, I very I could be wrong. You know, I've seen three episodes. Either way, it's been a long time coming. Yes, it's one of the all time greats. And also, okay, I've got it here. I've got it here on setlist.fm. Last played uh, Festival Hall Osaka, May twenty first, nineteen eighty seven. That's it. Wow, that's that, the tour. That's it. That was it. Wow. Wow, that is impressive. And, and once again, a great opening song too, because it's they. Well, that- that's got to be the opener to this tour. I mean, you would have to be, right? It, once again, Maiden has a, has a tendency to play the intro on tape. Like Ace is High is, is on tape. So they'd be like, bow, wow, 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 na, 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 na. And even when it goes, and when it goes, bam, bam, then the explosion comes off. Yeah. So it's got a great kind of opening tape where the lights are flashing and stuff. So just an amazing tune. So what do you got for your number four, Merle? Uh, I have that. I have the exact same song. And uh, and uh, yeah, never seen it. 
yeah, surely they're going to play it. It's going to be, apart from maybe Alexander the Great, which is going to start the great lost holy grail of, <laughs> of unplayed Maiden songs. Surely that's the one that most Maiden fans are going to most hope be hoping gets dusted off for this next tour. Because I've seen them play Heaven Can Wait. I've seen them play... Uh, Wasted Years. Yeah, Wasted Years, of course. That's like the big tune off that. Um, never seen them play this. I love it. I just think that opening... I guess you can call it a riff. It just sounds so huge. And then it kind of, it changes pace like multiple times in that first opening segment, but it all just sounds epic. It's, it's like Maiden at their most like full throttle in a lot of ways. I love it. What do you got, Brian? Uh, I've got Where Eagles There, which uh, is really interesting to me because again, I, I initially had that pegged in my one or two and it ended up falling to four. And then, you know, Merlin had it, at, you had it at six or five. Oh yeah, six. There it is. Six, and then Jericho doesn't have it all. So it's like <laughs> one of these great iconic Maiden songs that is not getting a lot of love from <laughs> from the panel. I wonder. I wonder why that is. Because, like I said, I went back and listened to everything again, and I love, love, love that song. It ended up being number four, and like I said, it's it's, uh, it's interesting how when you piece these things together, where things end up. So it's number four for me, and uh, not even the top ten for Jericho. <laughs> but once again, too, another song written about a movie where Eagles Dare, yeah. as is Caught Somewhere in Time. There's a movie called Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve from the 80s. Harris is notorious for books and movies. Movies, right? yeah. The Parchment is a book, which is an interesting. I have it. I tried to read it, but it's a really weird religious <laughs> yeah, book. Yeah. I had no idea until, until I heard that it's all about a book, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, we got the big top three here. Brian, why don't you start and give us your top three, your number three. So number three, I go back to, and I probably have it, well, I might not have it higher than anybody else, The Wicker Man, which, again, just a, a phenomenal song. It, the Maiden's back and great sounding. Bruce is amazing. Lyrics are great. Bruce sounds awesome. That's one of those songs where, where it's even better live. Like as much as I love it on the record, it's really good. That live has just got so much energy to it. Like I said, I forget which tour they, they came out and played it again, but it just as soon as they played it, it just the whole arena kind of had the energy level just went way up. And yeah, great track. So I have it at number three. It's a good choice. Good choice, Merle. My number three is what we have already talked about. Uh, it's Prowler. It's just such a dangerous sounding Maiden song. When you listen to it, you feel like you're stalking the dank, dirty streets of East London about to get stabbed in the dark from somewhere or something. <laughs> it's just got this real vivid energy to it that I think is quite unique to the Paul Diano era. And I think they kind of lost a little bit along the way. I feel like probably bigger and better things in the long run for sure. But um, I just think it's still an absolutely phenomenal opening song. One of the greatest introductions. I mean, I guess it's not technically an introduction because they've done like, you know, yeah. the tapes and everything before. But for many, many, many fans, it's the greatest intro official introduction to a heavy metal band ever. It's like right up there with just about anything you could name. So yeah, I had to get into my top three for me. It's always amazing to me when a long-term band, when the first song you ever heard, which basically track one, side one, is still one of their best. Mm. Prowler is up there. Hit the lights. Hit the lights is the other, the other one I always think of. Yeah, Brian put hit the lights on his on his metal massacre. But I mean Black Sabbath. You know, just like how in the hell did these guys 
running with the devil. Like it's just great fucking music that just sticks with you. And not every band has it, but but certain ones do. And Prowler, like I agree with you, Merle. I still think it's top twenty maiden for me. Just that riff of like it just catches you right away. Absolutely amazing. My number three is one that we haven't discussed yet, and I almost feel bad uh saying it because I want to go in depth into it. And I feel like I'm I'm <laughs> I'm stealing all the thunder here of of somewhere in time I used first, but the, my, my number three is, is aces high. Wow. Once again, just trying to shake up the tree here a little bit, be a little different. I mean, it could easily be number one, one of the all time greatest, not just opening songs on record, but opening songs live as well. Uh, Churchill's speech and now that's on tape. And then another song that as a high school bass player, hard but you could play it that's one thing i liked about some of these maiden tunes is they're really difficult but if you had some finger style which i could you could play these songs because it wasn't too much of that it was just like so i always had a real connection to aces high and of course the cool thing about this tour that i just saw which was the still legacy the beast but they had played sinjutsu the first three songs they closed with aces high which was really strange. Like you can't close with Aces High, but yeah. still just the monster track for me. I don't want to talk too much about it. I guess they kind of, once we get to this kind of level, like any of these could be a, a brilliant number one, to be honest. They're just that kind of bad. But yeah, it's interesting that they closed with Aces High. I guess they kind of knew that there was probably still enough people out there that didn't get to hear it on the first couple of legs of Legacy on the Beast. And they're kind of like, oh, yeah. well, we got to probably play it again, you know? It's funny when we did this the show at the Bank of California Stadium. I mean, obviously, what I didn't realize is Maiden's show is all inflatables now, yep. which I didn't know. Like, I thought, I was like, "Where's the fucking Spitfire?" Like, I thought it was a giant <laughs> model, but it's a big, it's a big blow up balloon. Yeah, all all that stuff. When Killswitch was out with them, the two crews got along really, really well. So they let every fifth show or whatever show they let the, one of the Killswitch dudes inf- do the inflatable stuff. Like, okay, here. <laughs> wow, no pressure. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> right, it's amazing. It still looks really good. It looks it amazing. But it takes them a lot less room, so you need two trucks instead of three or whatever. So I'm sure it saves them a, a couple of bucks. I don't know if it was the first time they did the inflatable, but the first time I noticed stuff being inflatable was on the Book of Souls tour when the giant Eddie came out the back and the kind of way... Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, that's always been a kind of inflatable element, I guess, but like the way it kind of came up just seemed yeah. different back at that point. It's funny if you're, if you're... I usually don't like being too close to the stage. I don't ever want to do side stage. I want to be in the crowd. But right. there's one show I went to where I was kind of a little further to the side for some reason. And you can see behind there. So you can see the guys working on all this stuff. It's pretty, it's kind of fascinating. By the way, real quick, Muse, who I love and used to be a phenomenal live band, but they've kind of homogenized themselves a bit. They stole all the main ideas and now all their stuff is inflatable. Inflatable, yeah. <laughs> and I also too love, once again, one of the reasons why Bruce is... is Possibly my all-time favorite front man, with the exception of a couple others, maybe Mick Jagger or so. But Bruce, with the dramatic element and, and, and the stage element, of course, for this one, has to wear the, the leather flight cap. The little Piggles hat. The little <laughs> with the with the you know the flight pilot, you know, old school jacket. It's just like, I mean, no one, no one would do that, and no one could really get away with it. But with Bruce, it's just like every song now is a costume change. It's just the fucking best ever. I love it. It just knows how to do stuff. I think the coolest moment, Aces High is in my list as well, so maybe I shouldn't say this now, but my, one of my favorite Maiden gigs was when they played Twickenham, which is actually this t-shirt I'm wearing here. Oh, nice. Like the biggest uh, and most prestigious uh, rugby stadium in the UK. Stadium, yeah. And I'm not a rugby guy at all. I'm a football guy. I've got no interest in rugby whatsoever. 
But they started with aces high and Bruce came sprinting out and he had this rugby ball in his hand and he jumped up and he just pelted it over the crowd. <laughs> and I was just like, rugby's awesome. <laughs> so great. So cool. He just knows how to get the moment going, you know. He does, man. He does. Okay, good. So we're down to the to the bottom two here. Two. Why, don't you, why don't you keep going, Brian? What do you got? Uh, well, I got caught somewhere in time. Nice. You know, we talked about earlier, just, you know, amazing track, great opening track. And yeah, it is incredible they haven't played it since 87. That's just blows me away. Yeah. So during COVID, when everything was shut down and we're all, you know, going down rabbit holes on YouTube, which I did many of and many different bands, and of course, spent many a night going down Iron Maiden rabbit holes. And there's, there's a whole show of that 87 tour. I forget where it's somewhere in the US and it's pro shop. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, there's not really great versions of it. And I remember asking Rod about that. And, and I think uh, Alex and Shaq and all those, you know, uh, Aiden management guys. Nobody, I don't think anybody really knows whatever happened to it. Like the tapes are gone or somewhere else. Huh. Some guy did kind of take it and tweak it a little bit, just home done. So it's a little bit better. But well, that was a great tour. I saw that tour, I think six, seven times, something like that. And uh, what a what a great tour! I mean, the the big green heart thing was a little bizarre, but uh, <laughs> right. But otherwise, great tour. It's just such a great iconic opening song, especially live. That's why it kind of blows me away they haven't done it, and makes me even more excited now to see uh, this next one. I love too the the one last little thing. It's, it reminds me a lot of uh, Freight Ends of Sanity, where it's like everyone's after me, and the last line is myself is after me. Yeah. At the end of Caught Somewhere in Time, it's like it's now caught now in two minds. So they went somewhere in time. When they came back, he's now stuck between two people. I just always love that last little like, oh, what happened? Like it's a cliffhanger. Like caught now into my eyes. It's like what? Oh my gosh! What a terrible fate for this guy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> a little thread of storytelling just to kind of tease you along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Just another Always. classic Steve uh, moment there. What do you got for number two, Merlin? I had to kind of almost sit myself down for a little talk to not put this at number one because I think my number one was just so inevitable in the end. But my number two was Wicker Man. You know, we kind of said everything that can be said about how it was such a great comeback song for them. It's just such an all-time classic Maiden song. I think you can tell, like you said, Brian. And the reactions when they bring it back live, it gets a similar to rea- reaction to kind of the all-time classics. And I just think if you're a Maiden fan of a certain age and you kind of got into them in the early 2000s like I did, this is that kind of grounding track for you as a Maiden fan in the same way that Ace is High is for some people and the same way that Prowler is for some people. It's like it's the song for people that got into Maiden in the early 2000s. And um, yeah, it's almost weird to think that like I've never really experienced that era when Maiden were playing smaller shows and everything else because this came out they caught fire again and that was it. They've never looked back since. And uh, I think if they hadn't had such an absolute banger of a song kind of leading the way on um, Brave New World, it might not have uh, picked up as fast as it did for them. So yeah, it might even be my personal favorite Maiden song, but um, I had to put it number two for this just because I think number one is just inevitable for me. Well, the thing that was cool about it too, like you just really hit it. There was such a buzz about the, the return of Bruce and Adrian, like all of us old school metal Maiden fans, even for yourself, Merlin is a newer guy. If they didn't release something great out of the gate, hmm. it wouldn't have been the same. I don't know if you get how much you guys are into Halloween, but when when Michael Kiske came back with Andy Darris and Kai Hansen is back, they put out Skyfall, which is like just this incredible song. It's like, yes, like we were right. We, we were vindicated and waiting for this reunion. And Wicker Man really like slammed it on the head. Like, dude, this is the shit. You know what I mean? Like, 
I think back to when Halford came back into Priest and there was some good stuff, but they didn't really have that definitive moment like Angel of Retribution. It was cool, but there was no Wicker Man on it for me. Like there was no... Like, no, I do, I do love Judas Rising okay. as a Priest song, good actually. Call. I think that's a great song. But yeah, you're right. It didn't quite hit the same. I actually feel like, not to go on a tangent, but I feel like Firepower is almost like the definitive yes. Priest album of the kind of new... You album. wish Firepower would have come out then, right? Yeah. yeah, if they came out with that, yeah. that would have been like a Wicker Man-esque impact, definitely. I agree. Well, and that's the amazing thing about about Maiden and another, you know, one of the thousands of reasons why they're such a great great band is, you know, they've had these two careers. They had the one career that, for me, basically ended in 88, when Adrian first left. And then when it came back, it's like, you know, that's a long time to be gone and, and to come back and how and how they've been able to have this run of phenomenal records this late in their career is really pretty incredible because it very easily could have gone the other way. Like so many other bands right. have like, you know, as much as I love Queens or every fun about them, you know, they didn't, in my opinion, make a great record for a long time until they made it. But you're right. Yeah. And, and no one talks about it, you know? Yeah, Maiden just kept going, and, the, and these records keep getting better and better. Like after Book of Souls, they go, "Okay, they can't make a record better than that. That's such a great record." And then the new one comes out, and it's like, "Oh my God, it's even better than Book of Souls now." It's like, oh. if they went on a tour and did Sinjutsu in its entirety, at this point in time, no true Maiden fan would be angry about that. Oh no, some of the fringe guys might, but they they, they they've been gone a long time ago. Like for me, it's like I would almost rather see Sinjutsu in its entirety than see. Number of the Beast or Run of the Hills. Not that I don't love those songs, yeah. but like they can play this new stuff, A, because it's quality, and B, because it's Iron Maiden. You know, Steve doesn't give a shit. He's going to put together the set that he wants to put together with Bruce's help as well, and they're going to do it. And you know what? They're going to be playing stadiums, and people are going to go, and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, from what I know, this this new tour is going to be most of Sinjutsu, because I've already played three songs, so I don't think they're going to play those. <laughs> But they're going to play most of the rest of it and then a bunch of stuff in somewhere in time. So it's... That's it, you know. Bring it up. If they play the Harris trilogy, that's like 35 minutes right there. That's the encore, baby. That's the encore. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do the whole thing, but as long as they do the parchment, they have to do that. It's one of my favorite Oh, I think they are going to do the whole thing. I'm sure they will. They have to. I they think they to. are. Uh, Steve didn't they spend have. all that time to write those songs to never play them live. <laughs> so... The thing is, as well, with Maiden, it's like, just on a final point of that, it's like, if you really hate the idea of them playing new songs, which I get, not everyone wants new material all the time, they will be back yeah. in a year or two with another Greatest Hits tour. Like, you will, you always get the chance to see these things with Maiden, and Metallica do it as well, you know? They know how to mix it up. And the hook for this one is it's the Somewhere in Time stuff. So it's like, dude, we're not even mm-hmm. coming back and giving you, you know, Fear of the Dark and Run of the Hills. We're going to give you, hopefully, listen to ner- the nerdery, Alexander the Great! Yes! Yes! Our time has come. I was just watching one of Bruce's spoken word shows he's doing in England right now or Europe, and they ask him questions. And it was like, will you do Alexander the Great next tour? Are you going to play Alexander the Great? Please don't play Alexander the Great. It's like six of them in a row. All right. And speaking of that, my number two, uh, and Brian predicted it way, way early on in this, is the sign of the cross. Nice. Now, I know that I could get crucified by people that don't understand that era of Iron Maiden. Listen, is there a lot of things bad about it? Sure. Is there a lot of things brilliant about it? In my opinion, yes. Sign of the Cross is 11 minutes long. It's This is the epic opener that we talked about, not a short one. It's got a five and a half minute instrumental section that could be one of Maiden's all-time greatest sections and i remember brian hadn't listened to x factor a lot and i was like dude you gotta at least check this out no 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 i've never listened to either of those records ever that in my opinion that period of time never existed 
It didn't, it didn't exist. <laughs> it wasn't real. It was real to me. So Chris was always telling me, you've got to listen. you got to listen. And I finally came in and listened to it. I, part of it was they were playing a couple of songs live. And yes. The Finding the Cross being one of them. I, honestly, I almost put that in my time. It was between that and The Final Frontier for my number 10. Because I love the music. Musically, it's, it's br- absolutely brilliant. You know, one of Maiden's most brilliant moments, like Chris said. It's brilliant. I, just, I love Blaze. I love Blaze as a person. I love him as a singer, just not an Iron Maiden. And I, just, I couldn't do the vocals. But when Bruce does it, it's like, holy shit, this is like one of their greatest songs. And yeah. I knew you were going to have it, have it high up there. And it, it really is musically. I kind of feel bad that I didn't revisit this earlier because as a song, it's just phenomenal. That's why I'm so happy they played it all live because it's just brilliant live. And with Bruce singing it, it's incredible. They've done a great job, much like Fear of the Dark, even though Bruce sang Fear of the Dark, but they've played Fear of the Dark so much, they've made it into an Iron Maiden classic, even though it wasn't on the record. They've been playing Klansman and Sign of the Cross pretty much every tour, every second tour since Bruce came back. Now listen, here, here's, here's, here's my other thing about it. Obviously, I love it with Bruce. I love Man on the Edge with Bruce, Lord of the Flies with Bruce, Future with Bruce. But Sign of the Cross, to me, is the epitome of Blaze fitting with Iron Maiden. I like his vocal on Sign of the Cross because it is a dark song. It is a moody song. And to me, that's the best Blaze Bailey. Blaze's biggest problem was having to sing Bruce's stuff live. Not even in the same stratosphere. It's not. It's nothing against Bruce. It's nothing against Steve for picking him. But on that song, Sign of the Cross, and the X Factor in general, if you're in the right mood, it's like listening to Pink Floyd for me. If I'm in kind of a somber, kind of evil mood, X Factor really fits. And Blaze's vocal on that, I think he does a really great job singing about these monks, the Sign of the Cross, another book that Steve wrote about. So, like I said, I, I really always try and give the Blaze era, especially X Factor, a little bit of spotlight. I even emailed Steve the other day and said, would you ever like to do a podcast just talking about the X Factor? Because I don't think anybody else really would. <laughs> and who knows? He might say no. He might never respond. But what if he does want to talk about it? Like, I'm your guy. I love that record. So, Oh, yeah. You are. You are the guy. <laughs> I am the guy. So, Sign of the Cross, my number two. And once again, just trying to have a little bit of a debate. Is it really number two? I don't know. But it's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. I was, I was curious to see how high you were going to rank yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to ask Oh, if you both put the car wash on me putting Rathchild in mind, Sign of the Cross would have snuck in at 10. That's what you said, yeah, exactly. But I back it 100%. It's a great song. All right, so we've gone through all the number twos, right? We have. All right, number number one. I mean, uh, I'll just start it. What could it be? Uh, it's Moonchild. Yes. P- pretty simple. My favorite Maiden record. I love the Seven Deadly Sins. I remember the first time we listened to it, we were laughing. Like, what the hell happened to Maiden? And then it kicks in. It's one of those ones that Adrian said... It was one of his Richie Blackmore-inspired riffs and solos, which is why he was happy to let Yannick play it, because he said, I don't like playing fast like that anymore. Because people looked like, All right, why does Yannick play the solo? It's Adrian's solo. And it's like, I don't want to do it. It's too fast. Yannick can play it. Great, great lyrics. And I love how Bruce sings that. Hear the mandrake scream. Once again, what is a mandrake? Like, you would look <laughs> these things up pre-internet English. English you go to the library like a mandrake is kind of a magical tree that actually can talk and screams and sings the middle section part where he goes one baby cries one mother screams like he sounds like a crying baby like he sing he sings his ass off on that song I can love it 
It sounds almost like the way he enunciates, he sounds almost like this kind of crazy narrator or something. Like you, you almost can hear him like right. opening up this dusty old book to kind of yes. tell you the tale of this whole thing. It's just so, so great. It's an interesting record too, in a in a variety of ways, because that was the end of the you know Adrian Smith year, but such an amazing record. They went out on such a high. It's just interesting how those sort of things happen, especially revisiting it. That record to me, like, you know, you go back and listen to all the stuff and look, Maiden is always going to be my favorite band. And, you know, Number of the Beast is always going to be my favorite album. But Seventh Son, the older I get, the more I listen to it, that creeping in, that might be two, two, probably two or three for me as, as overall albums. And, there's not there's not a bad song on that record. Exactly. I saw that tour where they opened with Moonchild and then on the Somewhere Back in Time tour, I think we, you were there, Brian, and we saw it at the forum when Lars and Steve were there and Carrie and Scott were there. Dio was there? Dio was there. They didn't open with Moonchild, but they opened the encore with Moonchild. And I was like, oh, they you just won the whole show by doing that. It, it needs to be the opener or it needs to be the opener of the encore, much like Ace is High. So what an amazing, monstrous tune. And, and I could listen to that a thousand times in a row and love it every time. I kind of think I've said a bit. I kind of wish I put it higher now that we talked about it, but we're here now. <laughs> what do you got at number one, Maron? I have got Aces High. It's like Thanos says, it is just inevitable. <laughs> uh, there was a big part of my heart that wanted to put Wicker Man at number one because it meant so much to me personally as a Maiden fan, but I just think Aces High, I struggled to not see it as the greatest opening track on any metal song ever. Absolutely the greatest live uh, opening track on any song ever. I just think it's just... It's just unbelievable. And it just never gets old. And every time, it, like, I just can't think of a better way to start a Maiden show than that because the, the drama of it, like you said earlier, Chris, the way it kind of starts on the backing track and then it just explodes into life. And it's just, it's Maiden incarnate. It's just like, if I'm going to try and show someone what I made and do better than any other band in the history of the world ever, I'll play the Maiden's High. It, it had to be my number one, I think. And that's what you got too, Brian? No, I actually have Invaders as my number. Oh, wow. I was just thinking nobody chose Invaders. I'm just kidding. It's it's oh. <laughs> I was like, be polite. Be polite. It's his choice. <laughs> you got me on that one, dude. I did really want to put Invaders somewhere in the top 10. I just... I, I really do like that song. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it with the looting. Yeah, I, I love Robin. It's, it's not as bad as people say it is, but it's. Uh, but yeah, I could do it. It's Ace's High. I mean, that's you know one of the most iconic Iron Maiden songs, and certainly one of the most iconic live Iron Maiden songs. Yeah, as well. it's just such a great, great song, great track. The whole intro is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's just, it just has to be number one. The the part right before the solo band getting getting Apparently, Steve got that from Faster Than the Speed of Light by Raven, which has a riff similar. Oh, really? Interesting. I think part of it is because there's a, I think, I can't remember if I talked about it with you guys or not, but there's a song on the last Metallica record that has a, an omen, an omen, it's the exact same riff. It's omen. <laughs> yeah. You go back at AB, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I don't think James Hetfield is, you know, ripping off all <laughs> He's not listening to a Be My Wench tonight. Yeah, no. <laughs> but you got to figure that some of this stuff just creeps into your, your subconscious. Sure it does. It just comes out when you're writing it. It's like, same thing, I don't think Steve Harris is, you know, lo looking at Raven for... <laughs> for riff ideas, exactly. But back in the day, it probably just heard it and stuck in the back of his head. I mean, it's hard, like we talked earlier about, just things that sound like something else. just hard not to have that stuff. As a songwriter, it's got to be really difficult not to have that stuff creep in a little bit here and there. And just as a side note before we go, the three songs that none of us chose were um, Future Real, which was from Virtual Eleven, Tail Gunner, No Prayer for the Dying, 
and Invaders from Number of the Beast, which had, did you guys see the 40th anniversary um, Number of the Beast they just released? Yeah. Mm. So if you get it, that Steve wrote a whole essay on the album and mentioned that he didn't really care for Invaders. They just used it as the opening track because it was fast. But he said if they would have had more time, he definitely would have written another opening song. But they basically had to use it because it was the fast opener. And that's, that's why it's on there. But he said he didn't really think it was one of their, their strongest songs. Yeah, he said that before. And, you know, because that was, you know, they, they weren't huge at that point. So they had a, a smaller budget and same thing. They were basically out of time. And yeah. he just thought, well, it's the fastest one. So we'll just put it on there. And, I mean, the rest of the record is so good. It doesn't matter. What the first song yeah, exactly. Is. Well, a, a great a meeting of the minds here. The Iron Maiden nerdery is off the charts. So uh, always great talking to you guys. And I think we'll have to reconvene at some point and then go through our own versions of the greatest closing songs uh, in Maiden history. And we can make a whole series of this. We could do the greatest opening songs in Metallica history. Uh, we could do a whole thing. The, the Saxon. Sure. You want to do Saxon? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm down I'm, by the time we do the next maiden one I'm going to try and see if I can catch them another 280 times to, uh, there you go catch up, catch up the there you go <laughs> alright lads thank you so much uh, uh, appreciate you guys and look forward to doing this again at some point thank you Chris thank you guys always fun